Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry Podcast. This week we're continuing our series on James, and we're finishing up the tail end of chapter one. In this passage, James calls our attention to the fact that it's actually possible to be deceived, and out of love, he challenges us to make sure that we don't just hear the Word of God and never do anything with it, but actually act upon what we've heard. In short, James challenges us to be real. So follow along, and we hope you enjoy this message. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome again to Fellowship Greenville students. We are so thankful you are here. My name is Matt Dinsky, student ministry pastor here, and I am so glad that you are here. I love being with you here on Sunday nights. Oh, I love you guys too. Thank you. Um, We want you to know that you are loved here. You have a place to belong here, and we are excited to learn with you from what God wants to speak to us tonight. Over the past couple weeks, we have been going through, uh, we, we call it the book of James. It's in the New Testament. It's, it's actually a letter. Uh, this guy named James is writing a letter to people who believe in Jesus, but they're on the run. They're running for their lives because there's widespread persecution happening at the time that he's writing this letter. And so he is writing to those who claim faith in Jesus, and he's trying to encourage them, challenge them, help them, um, and in some ways... Um, call them, rally them into this action uh, based on their faith. It speaks to those then and it still speaks to us now. James, uh, a couple things I want you to know. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up at home with Jesus. He grew up in the home with Jesus. Um, Interesting, though he did not believe in Jesus while he was growing up. As a kid, as a teenager, He did not think that Jesus was who he said he was. There's multiple references in the New Testament that talk about Jesus's own family thinking this man is crazy and trying to like subdue him and and, uh, some of the things he was saying, they didn't quite get it. Uh, Jesus's parents did, but his siblings did not. James is one of those siblings. But later in his life, James came to realize that that man, that brother of mine, Jesus, is actually God. He is who he said he was. This is kind of crazy. And so James comes to faith and becomes a leader in the church. And um, as kind of an older guy begins to write this letter to people who have put their faith in Jesus, but are on the run for their lives. And so he gets right to the point with some things. We've been going through this letter for the past couple of weeks, and we've kind of been framing it in this idea of like fatherly wisdom. In fact, you'll hear me refer to James tonight as Father James, old Papa James. James is kind of delivering dad vice to those who claim Jesus and follow Jesus. And he kind of invites us to sit down at the table and receive some good advice from Father James. So if you are in the room tonight and you say, man, I am a Christian, um, then this book is, is specifically written for you. And I rarely phrase it that way because if you're in the room tonight and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know where I'm at. I'm on a journey. I'm trying to figure things out. I'm, I have questions. I'm navigating. I, I'm exploring that's okay. You still have a place to belong here. Um, And you can still benefit from this letter because uh, in so many conversations that I have with people uh, who don't believe in Jesus or have a problem with Jesus, rarely, if ever, can I recall a conversation where the problem is actually with Jesus. Most times that conversation um, is geared towards the problem they have with Jesus' people. Like, I'm not upset at Jesus. In fact, he seems kind of cool. I really just don't like Christians. People who say they follow Jesus, that's what I have a conflict with. Most conversations that I have with people 
who have a problem with Christianity. It's, it's because of their interactions with Jesus' people. And so this letter is being written specifically to Jesus' people. But if you're in the room tonight, you're like, I'm not one of them. That's okay, because this paints a picture of what that life should be um, and, and can be. And the beautiful invitation that you have to become a Jesus person and to actually do it right, not like so many who are kind of wavering um, with with one foot in each world and, and really not representing Jesus in the best of ways. So it's a challenge to those who say they believe in Jesus. It's an invitation to those who, who are maybe considering Jesus. But the bottom line is it, it is a picture being painted by James saying this is what normal Christian life should look like. If you're in the church or not, this is the picture. And so it pulls us into that picture. When I was a teenager, um, I placed my faith in Jesus in 2003, that's when I believed in Jesus, uh, in 2003. And I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up with Christianity. Uh, to me, it was all very, very new. I didn't go to a private Christian school. I didn't even know those were really a thing. Um, to me, it was just all new. And so I placed my faith in Jesus, and it was like a, a light switch flipped. I went, um, the book of Colossians says in chapter 1 that he transfers us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. Literally just plucks us and puts us. And that's how I felt. It was like my entire worldview had changed overnight. And I was so passionate about my faith. I was so zealous. I was growing, but I had a lot of questions. And eventually what began to creep into my mind over those early years of my faith is this question. Am I really a Christian? Like I, I began to ask myself that question in those early years. Am I really saved? Like how do I know and how do I know that I know that I'm really saved? Like I, I think Jesus is real, but man, truthfully, a lot of people might think God's real and, and don't have a relationship. And, and I remember those early years of my faith, I would kind of be weighed down and burdened by this question. Am, Am I really saved? Like, how do I know that I got it right? Did I misunderstand something? Do I need to correct something? Do I need to circle back and like repray something? And now that I understand more, do I need to like do something again? Like, how, how do I know that I know that I know that I'm saved? Um, I, I grew up in a small town, East Tennessee, rural, all right? Like East Tennessee, all right? Uh, like McKay Rice, Trevin Rice, East Tennessee, Okay. No offense. I love you guys so much. Um, what's your all's YouTube? Gals? Ladies? Lovely ladies? Little ladies? Okay. Um, little ladies. Right. Uh, I grew up real rural. And uh, when I started going to church, I had a Southern Baptist uh, preacher. And man, he, he would end like every single sermon with this altar call. And he would be like, if you want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to go to heaven when you die, and come forward. And I, I remember sitting there knowing, like, I, I believe, I think Jesus is real. I place my faith in it. But how do I know that I know that I know? And that question would loom over me, especially in those early years. And I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you have placed your faith in Jesus and ever found yourself wondering, wait, but was that real? Like, I want to make sure. I, I prayed that prayer when I was seven. How do I know that I meant it? How do I, am I really saved? How do I know if I'm really saved? How can I make sure? Like, I, I want to lock this thing. Is there, a, is there a way? Does the Bible talk about this ever? And that was me as a teenager. Don't know if you've ever questioned your own salvation. Don't know if you've ever just wanted to like lock it in and make sure. But that was me. I was there. And it would come up often. Like every time I'd go to youth camp, 
you know, the cry night, the invitation, I'd be like, I think I am, right? Like, but it would always get provoked. And I would always wonder, am I? And how do I know? And old Father James wants to speak to us tonight and give us some dad advice about our faith. Um, James, James would kind of say it like this. He, he would say it like this. He would say, make sure that what you say and how you live line up. That's his dad advice for the night. So he'd pull the kids into the room, tables there, coffee mugs are on it, steam's rising up. I don't know if you guys drink, I think you guys drink like pumpkin spice lattes or something, but he would have your, he would have your drink there, your frappuccino, your milkshake that you call coffee. He would have it there, sitting down with his son or his daughter, and he'd pull you in. He'd say, hey, pull up a chair. I want to I wanna pass along some dad advice. This is an important life principle. Make sure that what you say and how you live line up. Make sure they're the same thing. Or when I was a teenager, it would be kind of like, if you're going to talk the talk, make sure you walk the walk. Or maybe for you guys, it would sound a little something like this. Hey guys, make sure that you're going to be real. All right? <laughs> Pun intended, but it, it works. I think, I think Father James would pull you in and say, hey, be real. Be real. Make sure you're real, okay? Make sure that when you get your little notification, you like flick your hair just right so, and get everyone around you in just the right pose so that you can, like, this is the raw moment, but you want to pose for it. Just be real, okay? I'm just fooling, no knock, but be real. I think James would say that. Make sure that what you say and how you live line up. Hey, make sure that you're real. Make sure you're authentic. Hey, be real. If you claim Jesus, then be about Jesus. If you say you have faith, then be about the faith. Be real. Now, the reality is this kind of gets tricky because the question becomes, well, what is real? Like, I mean, the truth is we live in the Bible Belt. We live in South Carolina. A lot of people grew up coming to church. A lot of people sit in the church. This has been a lot of people's childhood and upbringing, and we have the vocabulary, and we have the knowledge. Um, that wasn't me. I didn't grow up in the church, but my kids are growing up in the church, and so they're, they're experiencing what normal, like, southern we go as a family, and they get it from a young age, and then we talk about it afterwards. And uh, just yesterday, uh, Trent, uh, we were just hanging out in the kitchen, and all of a sudden, in sign language, he, he like did a verse from the Bible for me. And I'm like, sign language? Bro, like, where did you learn that? And he's like, oh, church. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Miss Susan Lady, thank you so much. If you ever watch this, she's amazing. Um, so my kids are getting that experience. I, I didn't have it. And so, but the question, because, well, like, but that is that the Southern experience. It's normal for us to go to church. But if you go to different places around the country, like if you go to Northeast, anybody from New England in here? Anybody ever have family go visit New England? Okay, four people. Thank you so much. Uh, then you know, if you go up to New England, it's not like it is here. There's not a church on every corner. And if, if there is, it, it's kind of a, a different uh, way of engaging in, in church and beliefs. Uh, it's a little bit different. It's not like it is here. If you go to Midwest, it's different. If you go out West, it's very different. If you go to Northwest, it's different. Like, and so all of a sudden it becomes a little more difficult to explain, well, what does it mean to be real? Like, how do we know that, that what we believe is right and how do we act upon that belief and how do we actually be real? And when do we be real? Like, how can teenagers actually do like amazing things. I think sometimes we limit ourselves because of our age. And I think Father James would pull us around the table and say, no, forget all of that. Do you believe in Jesus? If the answer is yes, then be real. 
If you say it, live it. If you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk, make sure that what you say and how you live line up. This is James' fatherly advice for us tonight. Be real. And he's going to invite us into this um, final part of chapter one. We've navigated through chapter one. We're, we're getting into the final part. If you guys remember James's dad advice on week one was, life is hard. Father James pulls us around. He says, hey kids, listen up, life is hard. And then week two, his father advice was, you're gonna make mistakes. And we looked at, at our mistakes and God's grace and how all that works. And tonight he wants to make sure we understand, but you need to be real. If you're gonna say it, be it. If you're gonna talk that way, walk that way. Don't be fake, be real. And he's going to invite us into this way of thinking tonight. He's got three main thoughts at the end of chapter one. We're going to navigate them together tonight. You guys with me? Okay, a quiet church is a dead church. Are you guys with me? Oh, wonderful. I feel invigorated. Thank you, Spirit. All right, James chapter one, verse 19. James 1, 19. This is how he begins. We're going to read a couple of verses here. James says, know this, my, belo- my beloved brothers, remember that can be translated, my sons and daughters, he's talking to his family, this is dad advice from Father James, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, that phrase there, righteousness of God, means like it does not produce the final effect of what God wants to do through his righteousness. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We're going to pause there and we're going to look at these verses. James now switches gears a little bit. If you remember um, the, the tail end of what we just read in verse 18, he reminds us of who we are and our identity, and he reminds us that God has called you and chosen you. This is not a mistake. He didn't make a mistake with you. He wants you. He chose you. He's invited you into his family, and he is calling you to be, to be a representative of what heaven looks like, feels like, sounds like. You are the front lines of creating the realities of heaven here on earth. That's like 18 verse 18. And now he's saying, but, 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 if you're going to talk that talk, you better walk that walk. And he says, listen, part of walking that walk is making sure that how much you say, how you say it, and how much you listen are all in accordance with the ways of Jesus. James says, let no, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So I don't know if this is describing you, but at least someone in your friend group, and if we get really gritty and vulnerable tonight, maybe someone even in your home has a tendency to be provoked to anger. And don't uh, point fingers, don't like point out your friend who is this person, but there are people, and we all know them, who are so hyper-defensive, ultra-defensive, they cannot take criticism. They can't be spoken to with truth. No one can point out things to them. No one can try to help them grow. No one can like call them out. No one can um, point out their blind spots. They always respond with defensiveness or they victimize themselves or they bypass it and attack or whatever. They are slow to hear and quick to speak and quick to anger. And being around someone like that is like walking on thin ice. You just never know when it's going to blow up. You never know what you're going to say. You never know how their temper will explode. It is just so uncomfortable. 
It's like a land, it's like a, a, a landmine field. You're just walking along and you have to watch every step because if you're not careful, this person will explode. And so apparently what was happening in James's day is there were those who were saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I, I believe in Jesus. But because of the persecution of Christianity, some of those people were resorting to violence, were resorting to anger, were resorting to um, taking matters into their own hands. Like, okay, if they're going to persecute us, well, let's go after them first. Let's fight fire with fire. Let's get violent. We'll show them what happens. And they were creating discord and they were creating a, a posture of anger and, and rallying people towards violence. And James is saying, hey, 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 if you want to know what it's like to follow Jesus, look at Jesus. Jesus is described as meek, as the Prince of Peace. He's not weak. He's not soft. He's not a doormat. He willingly laid down his life. That takes strength. Jesus is described as someone who uh, doesn't crush the bruised reed. Jesus is described as someone who, who restores the lowly. And James is saying, listen, if you're going to say that you believe in Jesus and you're going to align yourself with Jesus, then the attitude of Jesus needs to be the attitude of you. Mainly, you cannot be such a hothead and claim Jesus by mouth. You can't say, I believe in Jesus, and then get quick in your anger and snap on people and have short fuse and short tempers and then kind of follow, sorry, man, you know, I got to I got a quick fuse. I, I, I just got anger. James is saying, no, that's, that can't be normal. That can't be a normative description of God's people when Jesus himself, who had every right to defend himself, willingly laid down his life and is described as a lamb who was led silently to his slaughter. Jesus controlled his tongue and his words. James is rallying Christians towards this idea. Do you struggle with anger? And different people struggle with different things. But is anger your default? And it doesn't always have to be an aggressive anger. There is such a thing as passive anger, by the way. It's called passive aggression. Some of you guys are masters at it. I'm just so angry, but I'm not going to say anything. No, James is saying, hey, listen, listen. Some of you, thank you, Tommy, some of you are angry. And I'll, I'll confess to the room tonight that, that um, in, in, the, in the core of who I am, um, my go-to emotion is typically anger. And that may surprise some of you. In fact, I hope it does, because I hope I, I've... I've by the grace of God, mastered that to a degree where you wouldn't consider me an angry person. But in my youth, it was not so much. And at times I would have violent outbursts against others. Um, Yeah, I just had a lot of anger and a lot of pain, and it manifested with rage. And James is saying, listen, Jesus was gentle and strong, and he listened Those who follow Jesus cannot be defined by anger without listening. And so James would kind of sum it up like this. 
Hey, if you want to know what it's like to be real, James would sum it up like this, this first passage. He would say, real ones talk less and listen more. If you follow Jesus, remember the, the letters being written to those who claim Jesus. He say, hey, real ones talk less and listen more. So do you have someone in your friend group that talks over everybody and gets angry all the time and snaps and has a short fuse and a temper and doesn't listen very well and is very graceless in their approach? You might need to help them understand that real ones talk less and listen more. If it's you and you're sitting here tonight and you're like, I don't know who he's talking about. That ain't me. You might have a blind spot. And I say that with all love. But, but consider your behavior. Do you talk the most in your friend group? Do you talk others in, over others in your friend group? Do you snap at people in your tone? Are you short? Is sarcasm your currency? You just play it with everybody. Do you talk more than you listen? James would say, hey, real ones, talk less and listen more. It's a mark of knowing Jesus that something in you begins to get reshaped towards gentleness, graciousness, patience, love, compassion, concern. And you begin to channel your anger into a different way and allow Jesus' presence to come out in your listening and your responding. James goes on to say, verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, if you've ever read through the book of James, if you've ever studied, maybe you've come across this passage because this is one of the more famous ones. Be doers and not just hearers. James says, be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, is talking about the gospel, the message of Jesus, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James says this, man, the word of God should be in you and around you and about you, and that should be so evident. So are you someone who hears the word of God and never does it? Now, thankfully... <laughs> Thankfully, we live in a part of country, in a part of the country where 100% of every single person who comes into the church building comes because they are about that Jesus life. There's no such thing as cultural Christianity in the south. This is called irony. Sarcasm. Guys, we live in a part of the country, and I I mentioned it earlier and it's a blessing and it's a curse, but we live in a part of the country where you are born into the church building and you just grow up in it. Billy Graham, one of the greatest communicators of our age, estimated that 80% of people who sit in the church seats actually do not know Jesus whatsoever. 80%. So you have to ask yourself this really, really tough question. Is it possible for you to come into the, the church building and come through the church doors and have cultivated a a lifestyle, a culture, where you've grown accustomed to hearing the word of God, hearing a sermon being preached, and never doing anything with it. Is that possible? Does that describe you, maybe? And if you're wondering, huh, I don't know. I would say think about this. 
Last week, after you heard the message, what did you do with what you heard? Did you go home and, and wrestle with it and, 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 and pray the Spirit would help you apply it? Did, did, you, did you welcome others speak into your life and show them the truth of the word that you were hearing and saying, hey, how, how can I actually live this out better? Maybe you're saying, oh, I, I didn't do that last week. Okay, maybe it was an off week. Did you do it the week before that? You might be like, I, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe you had a couple off weeks. Did you do it the week before that? Listen, if the answer is no all the way back at least a few months, you probably are a hearer of the word and maybe not a doer. And James loves you enough to just slightly step on your toes tonight and let you know, hey, if you're going to be about it, be about it. If you're going to say it, do it. Make sure that what you say and how you live line up. Be real. And unfortunately, we have a culture where people come to church who say, I'm a Christian, that's me, I'm a Christian, and they come to church every single week, and it's as if the Word of God has no effect on their lifestyle whatsoever. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes? Okay, thank you. Thank you, people. Again, if you're in the room tonight, you're like, dude, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I am a Christian. That's okay. I'm not trying to step on your toes. I'm trying to step on the toes of people who say, I am, but don't live it. And I'm doing that because James does that. And if, you've, if you're not a Christian, if you don't have your, uh, place your faith in Jesus, if you don't know where you're at in that, but you've ever noticed how Christians seem to be kind of hypocritical, you might be onto something. Because that's what James is trying to address. The word hypocrite literally comes from like play acting, drama, being on stage and playing a character, a mask. You're, you're literally wearing a mask to play a character. That's where the word hypocrite comes from. We use it to describe someone who is acting, has like two lifestyles, is wearing a mask, is pretending to be someone that they're not. And James would come along and, and Rightly so, say, hey, listen, you, you, you claim Jesus. You, you say that you're about this life. You claim that you're part of the, the Messiah uh, uh, people, that you are a Jesus person, but you've somehow created a lifestyle where you go to places where the word of God is being presented and you do nothing with it. That can't be a normal descriptor of those who believe in Jesus. It just can't. It, it's, it's like it doesn't make sense. How does James elaborate on this? He says it's like, it's like someone who goes and looks into a mirror and sees their reflection and then walks away and immediately forgets what it looked like. And for James, you know, it, it, it kind of seems maybe odd to us. Like, oh, I wonder why he used a mirror. Um, I think some recent studies talked about uh, the average person looks in a mirror eight times a day. Some of you guys... Maybe a little more than that. Take it easy, okay? You, you look great. You look fine. You don't need to worry about it. Uh, but in the time that James is writing, mirrors were actually not commonplace. To have a mirror meant you were someone of stature. You either had money or you had power. And a mirror was not how we think of a mirror, as in like smooth glass. It was actually polished metal. And so it was still kind of distorted and, and unrefined. And so if you can imagine like not seeing your reflection every day, I mean, it's very hard to believe for, for us who are like selfie generation, I get it. But if you can imagine not seeing yourself every day, 
to see a reflection of yourself would kind of be this like, like, wow, this rare occurrence, this astonishing sight. Has anyone ever uh, been out west to see the Grand Canyon? Okay, all right, so this might be in the same ballpark. James is saying it'd be like someone seeing something as majestic and amazing and, and, and rare and special as the Grand Canyon and then walking away and forgetting what it looks like entirely. You wouldn't do that. It'd be etched in your brain. Special moments in life leave an imprint in your memory. My first date with my wife. Oh my gosh. She was running late to the date. Girls, don't do that. Don't do that. Just be on time. Why do you gotta be late? We already, the guy already wants you. You don't have to play hard to get, okay? She was running late, and that's okay. I'm not, I'm bitter about it anymore. Um, <laughs> took me 10 years of marriage to get over this. She was running late. When she finally walked uh, through the door, it was, uh, it was at a coffee shop in downtown Columbia. Anyone ever been to the Starbucks in the Vista, down Col- Columbia, on Gervais Street? They closed it? They closed it? Friends, I need to go home and cry. Uh, the sermon is done. Apparently, they demolished the place. My first date. It is really sad. I'm processing a lot of emotions right now. Um, anyway, wow. Lauren uh, walked through the door, and I remember, I remember what she looked like. I know exactly how her hair was styled. I know which side of her shoulders her ponytail fell on. I know the coat she had on. I know the the pants, the shoes. I can see how she did her makeup that day. I can see how the angle of the sun is hitting her hair and changing its color slightly to a reddish tint opposed to the brown that she usually has. I see it is etched in. Why? Because, man, I'm like head over heels for this girl, and it's our first date, and I'm nervous, and it's a sight to behold. And James is saying, listen, when you see something as rare in their time as a reflection, or as grand as the Grand Canyon, or as beautiful as your first date with the girl you're eventually going to marry. That gets etched in your brain. You don't just walk away and forget about it. And James is saying some of you are hearing the word of God and walking away as if you never heard it at all. Now listen, I did a little experiment. All right, This is a social experiment. I have um, a couple of portraits up here. I asked a couple of people to draw themselves. This is self-portrait. Now in our culture, we see ourselves eight times a day at least. So drawing yourself, you'd think would be a little easy. This was not a, hey, look in a mirror and draw yourself. This was a, hey, just draw yourself based off of memory. How well is your image etched in your brain, okay? So I've got a couple self-portraits here from some people. I'm gonna show you the first one. I want you to see if you know who this is. Are you ready? Okay, thank you. Quiet Church is a dead church. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Tell me if you know who this is. If you, if you know who it is. Connor, Connor said his brother. That's messed up, dude. That is messed up. Do you guys know who this is? You guys see it over there? You guys see it over there? Do you guys know who this is? Some of you think Hannah Tom. You'll notice there's no glasses. I want you to notice a few distinguishing features. Let me help you out. You may notice freckles. You may notice, and I say this because she said this, I, 
But you may notice crow's feet, little wrinkles around the eyes. Might be someone a little bit older. <laughs> Maybe. It might not be. It might not be a student. <laughs> ah! No, it's not Brentley. This is Morgan. Some of you guys, I, I said Mark. Yeah, I know, I know. Some of you have said it. Every you were right. This is Morgan. Morgan drew herself. Morgan back from her second honeymoon. Welcome back. Um, very nice, very nice rendering. Very nice rendering. All right, your next one. Okay, you guys ready? Tell me if... <laughs> I was, I was surprised when I saw this next one. I would not know unless I know who drew it. All right, here we go. Now, this will haunt your sleep at night. I'll tell you that. It looks... Is me? No, that's not... That, that hurt my feelings, actually. Does that look like me? <laughs> um, this looks like, I'm gonna be straight up with you, this looks like Elvis if he were like kind of demon possessed, you know what I mean? Like there's something going on here. Uh, no, this is our beloved, our one and only JJ Bunny. Where's JJ? There he is. Uh, J.J. Bunny thinks very highly of his eyelashes, very highly of his own eyelashes. Girls would kill for those, my man. People call out my eyelashes all the time. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. You you look great, buddy. So my social experiment was I want to see in a culture where people see themselves all the time, could they draw themselves from memory? And as we saw, yeah, kinda, there's some features on there, but it's, it, is, <laughs> it is hard. It is hard to actually recall yourself, even in a culture where you see yourself so much. And James is saying, man, when you hear the word of God, when you come to places where God's sacred word is being taught, spoken, delivered, if you don't apply it, if you do nothing with it, it's like someone who saw their reflection and walks away and forgets exactly how they looked. In verse, in verse 21, he refers to the implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls. And so he's referring to this word of God, not just as like, hey, this is behavior modification. You need to make sure you do the checklist. He's talking about, this is the word of God. This has the power to save your soul. When you come and you hear and you don't do, it is as if you saw your reflection and walked away and did nothing. Anybody ever see that movie Wally? <laughs> Some of y'all are like my favorite. Wally is uh, it's really good. Um, <laughs> the thing the thing about Wally, uh, Wally is riddled with like subtle um, life lessons and. One of the things that it, that it paints this picture of is, hey, it is actually possible to become so focused on advancing technology and consuming for your own comfort that you destroy the very planet that you need to actually have that comfort, right? Like, it, that's a strong message in Wally. But the other thing that you see is, hey, it's actually possible to become so consumed uh, with comfort and, and consuming that you actually begin to destroy 
the very body that you need to participate in those things. And so if you notice, everybody in the movie, Wally, is like crazy, way unhealthy obese, like crazy. And it, it has come from a life of ease. And there's this parallel going on of, we need the planet to survive, but we're going to trash it. We need our bodies to survive, but we're going to trash it. And, and obviously the romance between Wally and Eve was really sweet. But in the midst of that, there's all these other subtle things going on. But um, even though the movie is fictional, like th- those, those things still actually happen. Like there, there's so much destruction that happens on this earth, bo- both to the planet, but also to bodies. Like the, way, the ways that people um, live, there's documentaries on networks that, that uh, follow people who, who have literally eaten themselves to a point where they're immobile. And James is, is painting a picture like this. It's like, it's like you, you, you come into the place where the word of God is being taught and, and you literally sit there and you're like, feed me, feed me. And you, you, you do that to the point where you've become immobile and you do nothing with it. And it's, it's never actually led to life. You've literally become a consumer of something sacred and you've never done anything with it. James says, those who hear the word of God but never do is like someone who forgets how they look. Look at verse 25, but the one who looks at the word of God, being not a hearer but a doer, he will be blessed in his doing. He will be blessed in his doing. So James would kind of say it like this, real ones act upon what they've heard. Real ones act upon what they've heard. It's as simple as this. If you come to a place that teaches the word of God, When you hear the word of God, you act upon it. You apply it. You you, you take it home. You do something with it. You you begin to apply it to your heart. You begin to wrestle with what it's saying. You begin to try to live it out. Real ones act upon what they've heard. And you, I mean, this is where, you know, we can debate some things. But you might ask, Matt, like, if, if I'm... If I'm struggling with the word of God, like if, if, I, if I hear the word of God and don't do anything with it, are you, saying, are you saying I'm not a Christian? Are you saying I'm out? I'm just going to tell you how James puts it. Real ones act upon what they've heard. And so you may not be out, but you're definitely missing out. Because James says this, he will be blessed in his doing. I've had so many conversations with students who are like, I just don't feel God I feel so far from God. My faith doesn't feel rich anymore. I don't feel intimate with God. He feels so distant. And I try to meet you where you're at. But one of the first questions I ask during that conversation is, hey, just, just tell me this. Where are you at um, when it comes to the Word of God? How often are you reading it? Well, I, not, not, not really often. Okay. Um, so are you applying it? Like, is there anything actually being cultivated into your life from it? N- not really. I think James would say, yeah, you, you're missing out. You, you are feeling the effects of eating a bunch of meals and never exercising. You are feeling the effects of, of, of spiritual slothness where you've just consumed, consumed, consumed and just sat there and done nothing. You, you, you are an oversaturated sponge. James, James is rallying us to this idea that, that the best life, the blessed life is hearing and doing and those who hear and don't do doesn't line up with saying, I follow Jesus. Real ones act upon what they've heard. 
And this last little snippet that he's got for us is this. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue or doesn't control his tongue, remember he begins this passage by talking about quick to hear, slow to speak. And so he kind of goes back to that idea. If anyone thinks he's religious or has faith in Jesus but doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. I mean, man, these are harsh, hard, firm words that are spoken out of love. Father James giving some dad advice, saying, hey, it's time to be real. It's time to be real. If you claim faith in Jesus, but, but it's not affecting your lifestyle whatsoever, you're deceived. And really, this is his hang-up. This is what he's trying to get at. I don't want my children to be deceived. I don't want you to be misled. I don't want you to be taken away. I don't want you to think you're okay when something's not okay. I love you too much, so I'm going to speak into that in some hard but loving ways and say it is actually possible to be deceived and think you're somewhere you're not. When I was around your age and I came to faith in Jesus, this concept is actually what led me to faith in Jesus. I'd been coming to church for a couple of months and this dude in the student ministry who was clearly a leader, everybody looked up to him, everyone loved him. He stood up one night in the, in the uh, front of the room and he turns around to the room, tears are streaming down his face and he says, I need to confess to the room that I've been faking it. And I remember sitting in the back, I had, I had no clue about Christianity, no idea what anything meant. And he said, I've been faking it, but I want the room to know tonight I, I'm in, I, I'm, I'm coming to faith in Jesus. And I remember sitting in the back and thinking to myself, what are you faking? What, I don't, there's, there's no box in my head, there's no category to make sense of what, what are you faking? You're here, tangibly here, I see you, you're physically here. How are you faking this? What are you faking? And if you're faking, am I faking? And if so, what am I faking? And these questions begin to rattle in my brain, and I finally met with the youth pastor, I said, Scott, I believe in Jesus. I said, God, I, and see, I said, I believe in God, I think he's real, I was baptized when I was young, what does that mean for me? And Scott laid out the gospel for me like I'd never heard it. He went to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, and Jesus says, In the last days, many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? And Jesus says, and I will say to them, go away, depart from me, I don't know you. And I remember hearing that and be like, what? And my youth pastor, Scott, explained to me, it's actually possible to think you know Jesus, but not be known by Jesus. And as a 16-year-old, I said, I I want to be known by Jesus. And he explained how that's possible. He explained the gospel. You know, what's interesting is right after that, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says this, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a man who builds his house on the rock. But those who hear these words of mine and does not do them is like someone who builds his house on the sand. When the storms come, the house on the rock stands firm, the house on the sand crumbles. See, James grew up with Jesus, and he had heard the Sermon on the Mount, and James is pulling the echoes of that right into here. Be doers and not hearers. Hearers only have a fragile house, and it crumbles when the storms come, but doers are built on the foundation of Jesus. It is possible to be deceived, is what James says. 
Religion, if you want to know what real faith looks like, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James sums up this, thought, uh, sums up this passage with this, real ones move into the fringe. What do I mean by that? What I mean is in culture and in society, in your schools, in your friend groups, in our city, there are always people who are in the center, and there's always people who are on the fringe. And the people who are on the edges, who are on the fringe, often get overlooked, often get ignored. You walk down the street, and you see a homeless person asking for money, and you set your eyes straight forward. You pretend like they're not there, because if you don't look at them, you don't have to deal with their problem. That makes you feel uncomfortable. You ignore problems so that you don't have to be burdened by theirs. James is saying, hey, you want to know what real faith looks like? You want to know what real ones do? Real ones move into the fringe. Why do real ones do that? Because Jesus did that. How did Jesus do that? Because God became man. He put on skin, he walked among us, and he went after people who were on the fringes that no one else wanted. The Gospels are a story about how God moves in and goes after people that no one else wants to begin this movement that we call the kingdom. Real ones move to the fringe. So this is a good little test for our faith. Hey, am I a real one? Well, do you talk more than you listen? What's your relationship with your parents like? You talk more than you listen there? What about your friends? You talk more than you listen there? You're always angry, you always snap, you always have a fuse, you always have a temper. What about your application of the Word of God? When you come to church, is this just a cultural thing? You grew up in the South, so you're here. You sit here, but you're not really about it. You claim Jesus. Remember, I'm not talking to those who are like, I don't know where I'm at. I'm talking to those who say, I am a Christian. Do you come in hungry for the word and take it home and apply it to your life? Or do you just sit on it and you become a spiritual sloth? You just consume until you can't move and you've done nothing with it. What about the people around you? Do you make it a point to actually look for people who are lonely, look for people that clearly don't belong, look for people who are bullied, made fun of, look for people who have never quite fit in, and do you make it a point to go to them? James uses the example of widows and orphans, but it's, it's an example, people who are often overlooked. Does that define your faith? Because real ones move into the fringe. The dad advice from James tonight, he's pulling his kids in. He's saying, hey, listen, I want, you to, I want you to know, life is hard. You're going to make mistakes. But you need to make sure that what you say and how you live line up. You need to make sure you're a real one. Because this thing, this Christian movement, this whole, like, we love Jesus, we follow Jesus, this isn't like a, like, we rally and we hoo-ha and, you know, this is hype. This is like life. You're part of a, of a community of Jesus people who claim this man is Messiah and your lives should be marked and defined by your actions based on your words. And James is saying, be real. I love you. So I want to make sure you get that truth. Be real. And dad advice from James tonight is saying, be real. So I know it's a little hard to hear because this is like, okay, we're getting a mirror put in front of us. How's our faith? And James is saying, don't forget the reflection. Be real. I know it's hard to hear because it's like, dang, dude, I, man, this is tough. I know. But the Christian life was never meant to be fake. It's meant to be real. James is calling us into that deep faith. But remember the context that he's calling us into. 
Hey, because, verse 18, because you are chosen and loved and God did not make a mistake in you, he loves you, he chose you, he created you, he pulled you into this, he wants you to be in this movement, he wants you to create pockets of heaven for people here on earth, he wants people to associate you with Jesus and this movement, he wants that, he loves you, the grace is given to you, he is good, gives good and does good, all that context now leads him to say, so if that's true, then be real. So this isn't just stepping on your toes. This is like, hey, you're loved, but make sure that you're real. This is dad advice from James. I know it's hard. So I'm going to trust that it lands and sticks where it needs to, with whom it needs to, and pray that the Spirit stirs us up to respond to the Word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your Word. Uh, for those who say, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. Man, it's challenging. It's challenging because it puts in front of us uh, no, no places to hide, no places to kind of tuck into our religiosity and our do-goodism. It, it puts in front of us the reality of, man, I, this is more than just in name only. This is a lifestyle. And that's tough. And so I pray if there's any in here tonight who, who see the gaps and see the hypocrisy in themselves, that you would allow them to uh, embrace that and have the courage to repent um, as my brother, uh, Brent, when I was a teenager, stood up in the room and said, man, I've been faking. I pray you'd give them that same courage to confront the fakeness so that they can be real. And Father, if there's uh, students in here tonight who, who don't know Jesus, they're here, they're exploring, they're trying to figure some things out. My hope and my prayer is that they would have heard tonight the Bible's expectation, God's expectation, Jesus' expectation for his children. And hopefully, I pray they've been encouraged to hear, like, man, I'm so glad a pastor is talking about this because I'm so tired of seeing two-faced Christians. I am too. And I pray that this picture of what it is to follow Jesus would get painted so beautifully for all of us and that we would embrace a life devoted to Jesus does it mean we're going to do it perfect? No, that was last week. You're going to make mistakes. That was his dad advice. But, but it does mean that, that because of who Jesus is and our faith in him, we are striving by the grace of God to be real and not be fake. So, Father, we pray this over this room. Stir up who you need to stir up. Provoke who you need to provoke. Your spirit does the work, not us. And so we pray you'd give us the courage to respond to what your spirit is placing on our hearts through your word. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.